ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 25 of A Good Drop. We're nearly six months in, man. Yeah, yes, episode 25, uh, back to wine again, because there are so very many, so many wines, so many many varieties, so much history and legend. Colourful like the wines themselves. Indeed. So strap on your seatbelts, put on your drinking hat, and join us when we talk about Shiraz. Shiraz. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Today we're talking about the deep crimson of Shiraz. We are, and we are drinking a Brian, a Brian Fletcher Estate Western Australian Shiraz. This particular one we're drinking is a 2014. 2014. It's a good uh, year. Yeah, it turns out it was a very good year for Shiraz. And uh, in fact, our top drop, if you can find a bottle of it, is the uh, Taylor's Clare Valley. Taylor, Taylor's Jaraman Shiraz. It's the world's most awarded wine as of 2017. Yeah, and it's it's a 2014, though apparently uh, very hard to find the 2014. Yeah, because it's fucking excellent. Mm, but Just the, putting it bluntly. Yeah, but the 2015, which is apparently still very good, is uh, also very much available for about 30 bucks. Yeah, you should still be able to find it in places, but it is, but being, you know... 2018 already it's increasingly harder to find so if you're going to get a bottle go get one uh 2016 was just good there's no awards or great things said about it yet but who knows Mm, so so, since we're talking about our top drop still mm, yes uh guess how many awards this 2014 wine has won five there's a Big list, buddy. Ten. Keep going. Twenty. That's seventy-nine awards. Seventy-nine. <laughs> Holy crap! No wonder yeah. it's the most awarded. What? Seventy-nine. Seventy-nine. Most awarded wine in the world. Not just Shiraz. Not just Australia. The whole world. This blew my mind. And of course, when that when that wine came out, it was only thirty dollars a bottle. Yeah, it's still. I mean, the current varieties are twenty-six dollars a bottle or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a $30 bottle of wine beat out brands like Penfolds and Hermitage. Mm, and they sell for hundreds per bottle for, for some of them. Mm. Let's talk about this Shiraz that we're currently drinking. Yeah, so... Or I'm um, about to start drinking. Yeah, so I, I just had a uh, had a mouthful of it. And uh, before I describe that, I'll uh, I'll tell you what, what they say about it so the uh it's apparently an easy drinking dry red with notes of red berry and uh, pepper with lingering savory cherry and berry flavors and uh, I'd, I'd agree with that it's um as shirazes go it's not particularly bitey how did you describe it before it eats you it'll eat your face off um <laughs> bite your face off some some shirazes will bite your face off <laughs> yes if it's some are very bitey but I, I don't believe this one is. It's it's nice. Quite yeah, it's smooth. really mellow for a Shiraz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now um, it's still got the dry mouthfeel of a of a good Shiraz though. Mm. That sort of almost gritty, powdery mouthfeel. Yeah, and uh, quite a pleasant aftertaste as well. Mm. So yeah, this, uh, is, this is really good. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk briefly about Brian Fletcher, who uh, who made this wine, because apparently he began his winemaking career in 1978. He uh, held an illustrious career in Eastern Australia before moving to Margaret River in Western Australia to become the chief winemaker for Evans and Tate. And uh, he hasn't left that region since then, formed a partnership with the Kalnegia family, who uh, are major vineyard developers and owners in the region. And he now produces his signature range of wines under the Naked Wines label, which hmm. are available online. Yeah, you get the Naked... You subscribe to the Naked Wines. Mm, I, I do, yeah, because they uh, support a lot of uh, small Australian wine growers mm. and wine producers, and I've, I've not been disappointed yet. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's nice to get away from the big... The big multinationals and conglomerates. That's and, the one. Yeah. To, yeah, to get away from them to support the little guys. Yeah, well, exactly, because the, the little guys are making some amazing stuff. Mm. Like as as we see here, I mean, Penfolds obviously nice. is also making some amazing stuff, and they yeah, well, they've been around since 1850, 1830, haven't they? Um, they been around for a long have, time. Oh, yeah, a very long time. Yeah, the um, nineteen fifty two. Really? Uh, yeah, when Max Schubert created the Grange in nineteen fifty two. Gotcha. Yeah, it was Hermitage Grange back then. Mm, it was yes, because they um, and that's it's world famous. The Grange Hermitage now called Penfolds Grange, and the reason for the name change, of course, is because France won the right to exclusive use of the name Hermitage. Of course, they did. They're good like that. Yeah, along with like Armagnac and Cognac and Champagne. Mm. And uh, interesting thing about uh, Max Schubert and the uh, Penfolds Grange is that um, he actually pioneered the use of refrigeration to control the rate of fermentation and flavor extraction from grapes, as well as pioneering the use of new oak barrels to store and mature wines, uh, both of which are things that are now standard for premium reds. It's very interesting stuff how, you know, one person decides, oh, uh, let's, let's, do, let's do something different. This seems to get a better, better wine. And then they do it and everyone's like, holy shit. And so everyone else follows suit and it brings up the whole yeah, experience. It increases the quality across the board. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty fantastic. I love it. I love it when that happens. Mm. So I guess let's let's talk about Shiraz uh, as as a grape to uh, begin with. Yeah. Well, to, to do that, we need to go way back to 5000 BC. Mm, we do, because uh, generally Shiraz wine refers separately to two very different wines. Historically, the name refers to wines produced around the Persian, now Iranian city of Shiraz. Yeah, that's well, that's where the name came from. Yeah, and uh, legend had it, and this is a fantastic legend, yeah. that during the Crusades in the 13th century, a French knight called Gaspard de Stedenberg discovered wonderful grapes near the city of Shiraz and as winery people tend to do he liberated some cuttings to plant back at his farm in the Rhone Valley of France. Of course with the city of Shiraz being at an altitude of 1600 meters with the mild winters moderate summers it's perfect grape growing weather so um, it, it made that a very likely story for where the grape came from but it's not actually at all where the grape came from it has nothing to do with that region no, it's a good legend, though. Mm, it and, is. Yeah, so the Shiraz and the Syrah we're drinking today, unfortunately, doesn't come from, doesn't actually have any resemblance to that grape no. anymore. 
No, it doesn't uh, come from there at at all. Though testing did find that the Shiraz grape uh, is like the the one that the ancient ancestor of what we're now drinking is native to the Rhone Valley region mm. and and not Iran at all. Yeah, it was a natural, spontaneous merge of two different local varieties. Yeah, it uh, was a, a cross between grapes from the Adesh region west of the Rhone Valley and uh, grapes from the Savoie region. And uh, the earliest recorded plantings of the crossbred grape date back to 500 BC. Mm, that sort of fits in with that history of the grape coming to France in 500 BC. Yeah. Long before the Crusades. Oh, yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so the, the grape that evolved from that variety diverged and uh, became Gros Syrah, Petit Syrah, and uh, what Australians refer to as Shiraz, though some believe that the Australian Shiraz would be more appropriately referred to as a Syrah. Yeah, well, the Australian Shiraz that we drink has its history in France, even like the rest of the world. Uh, the this guy, James Busby, brought wines or brought uh, cuttings of vines over from France with the first fleet. Mm, well, it's it's believed that they went from uh, the cuttings went from Europe to Africa. Yes. Then in Africa, they were stocked onto the fleet as part of up. taking on taking on supplies supplies and yeah. then yeah it came over to australia but that's that's in 1832 now a lot of times passed since then yeah it was his shipment was labeled uh siras s-c-y-r-a-s and everyone thought it was a misspelling of syrah syrah i'm not sure how you pronounce mm. that one syrah syrah uh but his journal states that he knew of the legend where the grapes came from the city of Shiraz in what was then known as Persia. And so the the legend says that he then called it Shiraz, which is why it's not called a Shiraz, but is in fact called Shiraz. Shiraz. Yeah. But um, dare I say it, having drunk all three of those varieties that diverged from that ancient <laughs> grape... Of course you've drunk all three, Mr. The, Wine Man. They, the Shiraz does not taste like a Shiraz. Right. So how do they differ? Uh, it's tends to have stronger tannins. Right. And uh, Wait, more... which version? The Australian version? The, the Australian Shiraz has, has stronger tannins and a more peppery flavour. Okay. Like the Shiraz are usually a more mellow. Right. And what about the Shiraz from Shiraz? I'm sorry, we can't get yeah. that anymore because of the Islamic Revolution in 1979. By revolution, I mean the... Uh, new Islamic rulers banned alcohol in 1979. Mm. So, so there is literally no more anything growing. Yeah, they they ripped out that. they ripped out vines. They shut down wineries. They they closed breweries. It's all gone mm. as of 1979. Yeah, so we'll uh, never know what it tasted like compared to the grapes that they said came from there that didn't. But you you're right, Mickle. Uh, wines that we drink from grapes produced today are going to taste different to the wines uh, from France because, or the rest of the world because mm. the climate is different. Yeah, well, exactly. And this, this variety of grape that came over here back in 1832 mm. has been growing and developing in an Australian climate for 186 years. So, wow. yeah, it's obviously it's going to change. Yeah, and the fermentation temperatures are going to differ as well. Yeah, and I mean, because even when you look at the size of Australia as a country and the different um, 
regions that we tend to grow in and the variations in climate in those regions. Mm. You know, it's why the it's always worth looking at the region that the wine you're buying grew in because it will make a difference to how it tastes. Yeah, and that's why a lot of wineries in Australia or producers in Australia take wines, take even the same variety of grape from different parts of the country and mix them together. Like the our top drop for today, it's got wines from... Oh, sorry, not wines. It's got uh, Shiraz grapes from McLaren Vale and Clare Valley. Two different regions that have two different uh, uh, tastes. What's the word? Two... Not tasting notes. I can't, I can't say flavours because... Or do, can I say flavors? Well, yeah, flavors. They, they do have different different flavors, different yeah. tasting notes. It's a good thing that Australian wines have different flavors and tasting notes because we're one of the biggest exporters of wine of Shiraz in in the world. Mm, well, and behind fact, France, I, I believe we are the biggest producer of Shiraz in the world. Forty percent of the wine we produce is Shiraz. We just don't export so much of it. We we drink it here. Yeah, because as you said before we started recording, why would we export fantastic wine when we can just drink it ourselves? Yeah, well, and because it's lo locals here don't want to pay for an imported wine when there's a good local wine, because we, we have huge taxes on imported alcohol in Australia. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, as, as we've mentioned before. Mm. So it, it makes an imported bottle far more expensive than one that was bottled here. Yeah, and I, I get it. It means we support the local producers more than imports. Yeah, well, and it, it doesn't uh, prevent us from having access to any particular varieties either. I, I have uh, drunk um, Italian wine varieties that were produced by Australian winemakers. They just imported the grapes. Really? Because if, that, if the wine is made here and it's bottled here... It's an Australian product. Hmm. Even made though, with imported ingredients. Yeah, made with imported ingredients. <laughs> I suppose that'd get get away with the uh, import tax as well, because they're just grapes at that point. Yeah. No, exactly. It's just fruit. Huh. And we import fruit all the time. Mm. I like some imports. Like, I've had f actual champagne before, but I don't drink enough wine to really appreciate the difference between champagne and Australian sparkling. Mm, I'll admit I've I've had both, and they they both have their benefits. The flavors are different, as as you'd expect, because everything from Australia is going to taste different to something that mm. was produced in Europe, where you know it's a temperate zone. Yeah. It's it's going to be different, and the the weather doesn't have it doesn't get as hot there. No, it doesn't have the extremes in temperatures that we do. Yeah, it doesn't get the humidity either. Mm. Well, Not it's probably that, pretty um, humid in France. Mm, though we don't tend to grow in the more humid areas. Like, no. Uh, Western Australia is very dry. No, but there are a few wineries and wine-producing regions in Western Australia, but they tend mm. to be more southern yeah. than anything. But then we have got... Um, Victoria and South Australia, the biggest producers. They're the big ones. There, there are a few in uh, in Queensland. We've got the Cirame Winery. Mm. Made in, by in a... Southeast Queensland. Started by a man called T.E. Morris. Yeah. He reversed his name to to get the fancy title for his winery. Mm, and I'll admit, they're um, I've only tried a couple of their wines, but they're quite pleasant. Yeah, they're nice. They're um, but they do taste different from Tasmanian wines. Yeah, because of the several thousand kilometers between them. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, if we were uh, in Europe, that'd be a whole different country. Yes, yes, it would. A whole, like whole different. Three different countries. Yeah, so let's um, take a step backwards to talk about, uh, back to Shiraz, because we kind of veered off the path for a moment there and got mm. very general. But um, what we're talking about general, though, Australian Shiraz is generally made in two different styles. Uh, a big, full, rich, tannin-laden wine and a lighter, fruitier style with mm. uh, lots of blackberry and raspberry flavors. And the, the blockbuster and the everyday. <laughs> yeah, because you know, some people want a big, heavy-duty wine that you know, really fills your mouth with strong flavors and other people want something that's more subtle. Mm. As you said, some people like wines that bite your face off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine they probably wouldn't describe it as that, but I've had some really bitey Shirazes. I'll admit they were very cheap. Yeah. It was you know, at uh, at a time when I was basically doing a, a dice roll on a regular basis, grabbing clean skins from Dan Murphy's Ooh. and just you know guessing by the region they said they were from to see how it went. And some of them were just... Woeful? Just awful, yeah. Yeah. The first time I remember specifically drinking a Shiraz, I actually thought it was off because it was that dry and bitter and mm. full-bodied that I just... I was like, whoa, that doesn't taste very good and i poured it down the sink oh right because <laughs> i i yeah it, to me it tasted so bad that i thought it was off i don't know mm. i mean maybe it was just a really bad wine maybe 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 it was stored incorrectly maybe i just don't know what i'm drinking when it comes to wines this would have been eight years ago seven eight years ago when i had this shiraz and i can't remember what it what it is anymore but it was a gift so right, so yeah, you never know. You never know. You never know. But um, yeah, so the um, interestingly, while we're talking about bad Shirazes, you, you will often find that there's a, a bit of Grenache in some of the cheaper and nastier ones to give it a bit of a nicer flavour. Mm, to mellow it out a little yeah. bit, so it doesn't eat your face off. Mm, that th <laughs> that does make up a very small portion of the otherwise fantastic offerings. Oh, for sure, for for Shirazes. But um, yeah, like the. Uh, back back to our discussion on regions, though, there, there are some very region-specific characteristics. Like uh, the Hunter Valley in New South Wales produces Shiraz that has a trademark sweaty saddle characteristic, while uh, the Barossa Valley produces a more peppery and herbaceous style with less fruit nose and uh, more tannins. And just in general, cooler climates produce richer fruit-style wines with uh, lots of pepper. Interesting. And uh, the grape itself is actually one of the more resilient grape varieties. It's a vigorous growing grape and produces uh, large bunches with anywhere up to 130 berries per bunch. That's a big bunch of grapes. Yeah, and uh, the generally long, loose bunches with uh, very good disease, uh, disease resistance, uh, and uh, they grow well in... They grow well in cool climates, but they thrive in uh, warm spring weather to produce that uh, peppery wine that comes out of the regions where it gets quite cool and then gets quite hot. I suppose the average person wouldn't expect that just changing climate would change the flavour of a grape so much. Yeah. Or a wine made by a grape. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think a layman would realise that um, a winemaker needs to have so much knowledge mm. to be able to produce a wine with the flavor they want their wine to have. Yeah. I mean, it, 
it makes sense it when if you start to think about it because a wine is a fermented and aged product if you have something it's going to become more of if you ferment it and age it it's going to become more of that so those subtle differences it's like a exponential curve the the flavors are at the top of the curve and the product you put in is at the beginning of the curve yeah and as as we've seen through everything that we've talked about so far with the region and the climate and the fermentation process there's a lot to think about every step of the way to be sure that the Shiraz you're left with at the end doesn't bite your face off. <laughs> it's so true. And yes, basically all we're talking about is ethanol, but the diff- you get a it just blows my mind that you get a grape from a specific place or a grape variety in from a specific place and then you get a grape variety from a different place. The same year, same amount of grapes, same fermentation process, same aging process, and you're going to have two different flavors. Yeah. It just blows my mind. And it uh, really helps to give you a better appreciation of the wine you're drinking. Mm. And that's why we're here. That's that's what this is all about. This is why we're, we're podcasting. Helping you fellow listeners to get a better appreciation for what you're drinking and yeah. uh, the effort that goes into it like every every time you enjoy a glass of anything so much hard work and planning and usually years of it mm. has has gone into producing that bottle and a little bit of luck too yeah and a little bit of luck yeah because if some years the weather goes wrong in in the wine industry and you just end up with bad wine and people going oh don't drink or whatever year that's terrible yeah and then you get 2014 yeah <laughs> which was a great year like, I, I remember quite some time ago that um, I drank a fantastic Sauv Blanc from 2001, and every every single white wine I hit from 01 was just really good. It was just a great year for whites. Mm. Of course, you can't get any of them now. Of course for, not. It's 17 yeah, years ago. <laughs> for any kind of reasonable price, at least. Yes, if you're made but, of money, please contact us at a agooddroppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. And we would love to tell you how wonderful you are as you fund us on some wines. Yes, some lovely $800 bottles of wine. Yeah. That That is how much one of the award winners uh, goes for, isn't it? Penfolds Grange mm. was, uh, I forget which particular year it was, but it was $850 a bottle. Yeah, so I've I've seen champagnes go for more than that in in the thousands mark, but we're we're talking old vintages. Two thousand and twelve was the five hundred no the eight hundred dollar bottle. Oh, right, two thousand twelve uh, Penfolds Grange. Penfolds Grange bin eighty five. If you want to mm, be specific, bin eighty five. Right, mm. but if you want to get that specific, you're probably going to pay even more. Yeah. So speaking of uh, specifics, I uh, recently came into possession of something we've mentioned in an earlier episode. Mm. The uh, the flicker bean coffee infused whiskey. We got a bottle, guys. We we got a bottle. I I have tried it. Stuart hasn't had the chance oh yet. Oh god, I'm so jealous. But um, it's very limited run stuff. Like the the bottle came with a label on it saying that it's uh, batch two, bottle three hundred. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. It's like as we said in our whiskey episode it's craft whiskey Mm, it is and uh, it's an interesting flavor to say the least it tastes very very bitter a lot like coffee like um it's basically 
it tastes like if you took a straight shot of coffee without putting anything in it yeah. and then added some whiskey to it. So like a whiskey espresso? Uh, no, because espresso has got like milk and stuff in it. No. Like a, a straight espresso oh, straight, shot? Straight black espresso shot, yes. A short black. Mm, yes, a short black. But from a very bitter bean. Wow. Like, I don't know what beans they use. but they, they probably have it on their website. Yeah, it's got a very strong flavor to it. But a very, very pleasant when you find the right thing to put it with. I'm so keen. Yeah, I, I found that, and I, I know this won't sound like it should work, but it did. I found that mixing it with lemonade went really, really well. And so uh, any of our listeners uh, in the States who um, have access to uh, to the Flicker Bean, do try it with lemonade and uh, let, let us know if you think that it's as good with it as I do. Oh, of course, uh, in, in America, lemonade is not what it is here. Try it with Sprite, Americans. Try yes. it with Sprite, not, le- not your lemonade. Sprite. Sprite. Um, so we need to give a shout-out to the man who man and his missus that brought it to us. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, many thanks to uh, Kevin Juliet for providing that. Thank you very much. We are going to appreciate this bottle immensely. We are indeed. And uh, I believe with that thank you, that brings us pretty much to the end of our episode. So we'll do our final uh, closing things. If anyone has anything they'd like to say to us, you can email us. A good drop podcast at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, like our Facebook page. If you haven't already, we are A Good Drop Podcast on Facebook. Tell your friends to like it as well. We're A a Good Drop on iTunes. We are in the uh, podcast section. We are. A Good Drop in podcasts. Uh, And we have a website, agooddrop.com.au. .com.au, absolutely. And, yeah, word of mouth gets us more listeners. Mm. And uh, we want to hear from our listeners about what's happening and what you're drinking and... Yeah, send us suggestions of what we should do next. Uh, send us emails about your favourite drink, favourite episode. Any comments, questions, feedback, we, we love it all. So We do indeed. And next time we are going to be talking about chartreuse. Chartreuse, another French concoction. Yes, a uh, very complex beverage. That's uh, going to be an interesting episode. I'm looking forward to it. As am I. So that's it. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.